Please turn to our text. Uh, you can find it. It's Luke 14. And uh, in the Pew Bible, I think it's uh, that black Pew Bible in front of you. It's page 873. You'll definitely uh, want it open. We're returning to the Gospel of Luke, which is where we left off before we took a break last uh, Lord's Day uh, on Easter. Just to remind you, two weeks ago where we left off, Jesus is saying uh, yet again <laughs> some heavy and some challenging things in response to a controversial question. The controversial question, uh, if you go look further up into uh, chapter 13, uh, is are there few in the kingdom? Uh, in trying to, to challenge Jesus, that's in chapter 13, verse 23. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? How's the kingdom work? Jesus says, and I slightly paraphrase, uh, that, that's not relevant. Don't, don't occupy your mind and thoughts around that. Instead, for you, for you personally, uh, you should be uh, striving to enter uh, the kingdom, he says there in verse 24, because narrow is uh, the way. Uh, Jesus is saying, I am the door. I am the one that you should be focusing on and prioritizing. The problem is, is that if you're, if you're proud or you're presumptuous, then you, you, won't, you won't enter. Uh, you won't be able to enter because you need to lay aside the things. You need to, to lay aside your assumptions and presumption. You need to lay aside what you think are uh, you know, your merits and your good deeds. You need to set aside uh, your sin. You need to set aside uh, the selfish ways. You need to set aside uh, the, the preoccupation you have with the material world. Uh, you need to set these things aside and, and humble yourself uh, to enter in and to know uh, the blessing of the kingdom and salvation, he's saying. But some will be outside, Jesus warns. There'll be some who say they're outside the door. and They say, oh, now it's time for the feast, so let's go in. And, and Jesus is going to say, no, no, you will not be included. No, no, but Jesus, we, we knew you. We, we heard you teaching in the street. We even had some meals with you, Jesus. And he'll say, I, I don't know who you are. Uh, you are to be cast out. You are not to be uh, included. But there is, of course, good news because right before our passage in Matthew, excuse me, in Luke 13, verse 29 and 30, he says, and people will come. This is a vision of the banquet. This is a vision of the new heavens and the new earth where Christ is the host of a, a great feast. And he says, this is what will be. People will come from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are Last will be first, and some who are first will be last. It's the upside-down way that Jesus operates. And now Jesus is going to further illustrate that, because Luke's going to record uh, a time when he does sit down uh, at a dinner table, and there are many hosts and guests. I love the fact that Jesus, by the way, uh, doesn't, you know, sometimes we would consider ways to avoid uh, particular interactions or encounters or there are invitations that we might turn aside. But Jesus, even knowing the the intentions and the slightly twisted motivations of the host and the guests at the party, says, sure, I'll come. And Jesus shows up at dinner. Now, you, you never know quite what you're going to bargain for uh, if you invite Jesus uh, to dinner. And I don't know if this is a four-course meal, but it definitely was a four-part lesson. And, uh, and it was instruction that, uh, that Jesus challenges them with in these various episodes. I know you just sat down, uh, but can I ask us in, in deference to God's word to stand one more time as we read these first... Well, we're going to read 24 verses, so maybe you'll be glad you're standing and, uh, and alert to this. Hear this. This is God's word. One Sabbath, chapter 14, verse 1. When he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of the rulers of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. 
And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox, having fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Verse 7, Now he told the parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose their places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person and you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you were invited, go in and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone, verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said to a man who had the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and, they, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who was reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent out a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. For the first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see to it. Uh, please have me be excused. And then another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go and examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these to his master. Then his master, the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and, and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And he said, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask for God's help. Father, we do ask that right now. Well, we, we thank you, first of all, that you've given us your scriptures that we might be able to know and discover what you require of us. And Lord, if, we, if we're honest, we would admittedly say there have been times that we have been quick to forget your word. And I ask that you would uh, send even now your spirit that we might see and cherish uh, your words, that you would help us to see uh, our sin. And then you would help us to see and cherish our Savior. This we pray in his name and ask for your help. Amen. This past week when we were uh, in Asheville visiting family in North Carolina, uh, my mom fixed some nice meals. One of those evenings, we decided to invite uh, some of our friends over who live uh, nearby. Uh, their names are Joel and Carol. And, uh, and, and they're kind of like a great uh, aunt and a great, uh, or you guys would say aunt, uh, and uncle uh, to our family. And uh, they're, they're a delightful couple. Uh, unfortunately, uh, advanced in, in years and because of Parkinson's, Joel is, uh, is a bit frail. Uh, he, he's lived a wonderful life and he's done a lot of wonderful things. In fact, he's, he's, a, he's a notable uh, author and a publisher 
uh, and, uh, and, a, and a wonderful uh, leader. And so I decided to kind of, and, 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 and he's, he's kind of past his glory days in some way. So I thought to kind of highlight that. I, I know he's well-known and well-loved that I decided as kind of the, the, the start of the conversation to say, Joel, would you please tell us some of the times that you've, you've met famous people? You know, notable figures down through the years. And, and Joel, of course, had stories. I knew he would. And, of course, he told us of the time that he shared part of the White House lawn. And he could see Margaret Thatcher. And he, he got to, uh, you know, he's, got, he's gotten to meet different senators and, uh, and different presidents. And, uh, and he went on to talk about uh, the time that he got to go to Ruth and Billy Graham's uh, home, which is also in western uh, North Carolina. And then he talked about uh, the day that he was at, he, he got invited, not because of anything of himself, but because of a, of a guest, to uh, Nixon's funeral. And he was sitting on the second row behind uh, previous presidents and other dignitaries. And, and then he literally bumped into, in the bathroom, Henry Kissinger and uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. It's a pretty, pretty cool day, you know. But then he went on to tell the story of one day when he was flying back from D.C. that he was on the same plane as uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson. And, uh, and he handed Reverend Jackson something to read and said, I'd like to have a conversation. And when they got to the Charlotte airport where his layover was, he said, please, would you come with me? And they, they sat down and had coffee. And he said that he was incredibly uh, gracious and kind. And uh, tons of people in the airport, of course, wanted to greet him, not Joel, but the other uh, gentleman, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson. Jackson was heading down to Greenville, South Carolina, because they were going to name a park in honor uh, of him. And uh, he invited my friend Joel, you should come with me as well. And, uh, and then he went on to say, yeah, actually, I know that, that same neighborhood. My, my wife, Joel said, Carol, uh, her family, her, her uncle was a pastor in that same neighborhood. He says, oh, I know, I know Augusta uh, Road very well. And, and that, that was a place that we were not allowed to go. And, and Joel said, yeah, I know, and that's an embarrassing part of our history. And, and then he went on to talk about uh, how Joel said that his cousin, who, who played in that same, excuse me, his, his wife's cousin, who played in that same neighborhood, uh, talks about one day, many, many years ago, as a child, he was playing in the parking lot where his dad was the pastor on Augusta Street, and uh, they began to say cruel things to some of the African-American boys who were there. Jesse Jackson was one of those boys. And Tom, his cousin said, has lived with guilt and shame, not because he felt that way towards them, but because he didn't speak up and he cared more. And he actually wrote an apology letter to Jesse Jackson many years later because of the guilt and the shame. Because he knew, even though he didn't feel that way, he knew he didn't have, he didn't have the, the guts to stand up. Because he cared more about the opinions of other people around them than doing the right thing and standing up for others. If you live long enough, you can recall times that you were proud. You were excited to tell the stories of people that you may have met that are uh, you know, that are famous or celebrities or s- sports heroes. But you, you also know that there's times that you're deeply, uh, you feel regret for things that you said, things that you said about other people, things that you said uh, to other people, cruel things, unloving things. We have regrets of how we've treated other people. Mine probably fall more in the latter category. This passage is a story of when a famous person, Jesus, comes and he's invited to dinner. Well, they, like I said earlier, they get more than they bargained for. This is an account that, that has this reoccurring theme of humility, both humility and hospitality. And we can see something that's ugly here that stands out. And then if we take a few steps back, we can also see something, I think, that is beautiful here. I just have two headings. I've listed them there in the order of service. 
It's first of all the ugly priority of self-centeredness. And the other is the beautiful humility of Christ's likeness. The opening here, this, this, the priority of self which comes forward. I don't know exactly where they're standing in the house in verse 1. But maybe they're just in the foyer. Maybe they haven't made their way to the dinner table just yet. And what happens? Well, verse 1, Luke records that they were watching Jesus carefully. It, it already sounds and smells like a trap. It sounds like something is staged here. Jesus, of course, being a good Jew, honors the Sabbath. He understands that that's part of God's law, that we would rest, that we would worship on Sabbath. But he also knows his audience. He also knows that there are those who are experts in the law, the Pharisees, the super religious the legalistic group, they were prideful, not only because they observed Sabbath, but because they added another whole set of layers to that Sabbath and tried to keep those in such strict fashion. They thought that God loved them because they were so obedient and because of their performance. And that naturally lended them to look down upon other people. And then it says this in verse two of what we just read. Oh, behold, there was a man there with dropsy. It sounds a lot like he was just conveniently planted right in front of Jesus as if they anticipated something that they could they could catch Jesus in a trap. They want to expose Jesus as a lawbreaker. They know that he has compassion. They even know he has the power to heal. <laughs> Somehow they look beyond. They, they don't take that into consideration. It's pretty remarkable. Nevertheless, they want him to to heal on the Sabbath so that they can rebuke him. They can say, see, you're out of line with the law. You're a lawbreaker and they can oppose him, which they already do. But then it says in verse 3 that Jesus responded to them. Why is that strange? Because they didn't say anything. <laughs> it's kind of a bummer when you invite guests over and they're already reading your mind. <laughs> you know? But here's Jesus. He's responding to them. He knew it was a setup. He, knew what, he knows what they're thinking. He's pl- the, the guy's planted there. He, he's saying to them, reading their minds, look. This is an occasion that Jesus has been, they've tried to catch him in it previously because we've read about it in the Gospel of Luke uh, further back in chapter 4 and chapter 6. And even most recently, a couple of weeks ago, as we made our way through, we found the woman who uh, had this infirmity where she was bent over for the, the better part of her life, completely bent over. And on the Sabbath, Jesus does the labor of healing her. And they, of course, are upset. They can't see past the reality. They can't see that the heart of the law is love. And that God is love. And that the loving thing, the most appropriate thing to do on the Sabbath, is the very thing that Jesus is doing. He's showing mercy and compassion to someone who has need. So he launches into the offensive. Because he discerns their hearts. He reads their mind and their intentions. And he asks them this question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Verse 3, he asks them. Now, he asks them this question. And he's got them in a corner because if they say yes, then they cannot trap him. But if they say no, it's not lawful, then it sounds entirely heartless with this guy standing right in front of him. No, of course, he's going to point out that many of them, he's seen them show acts of mercy and to respond to different needs. And so he asked them, listen, verse 5, if you have a son or an ox who's fallen, you're going to respond immediately. You're not going to say, oh, I'm so sorry, son, but today is Sabbath. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Don't worry. Maybe we'll throw down some water or something, but we can't get you out 
because it's Sabbath. No, Jesus is exposing their hypocrisy. They're, in, they're going to act in their natural self-interest. They're going to go and pursue and protect their own. Conveniently, Jesus is saying, you, of course, would do that. But here's this man you've planted and you don't want me to even heal him. Jesus heals the man. And the, the, the language in the original is such that the healing is so comprehensive. It's a complete healing to this man. Dropsy, didn't know anything about dropsy, so I had to do some reading. Dropsy, just the name of dropsy sounds like that's definitely not something I want to get. Yeah, yeah that's clearly what I know. Dropsy is a condition where you retain bodily fluids and then a person becomes very bloated. Your torso, your stomach, it can be... It, 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 it can be deadly, a lethal thing that your organs begin to, to, to fail because of the way that you have this, this fluid. Jesus, of course, takes this man. This, this man with dropsy would have clearly had a problem. They would have seen his, his, his bloated frame. and They would have seen that he is uh, disfigured. And Jesus heals him. What a beautiful thing. You can't even imagine what the guy now looks like and now feels like. But of course, this man with dropsy was ugly, but now he's healed. And they're the ones who look ugly because he's exposed how they're the ones who are truly puffed up with pride. But then there's another group because Jesus goes on to the other people at the party. If you look down further at verse 7, because he knows that there are those who are, are, who are onlookers. And he sees how they're dressed and how they enter into the party, how they converse with one another and how they like and prefer the praises and the recognition of others. And then he gives them what looks like at first a lesson in etiquette. Listen, when you show up, it would have been like a giant U-shaped table. The, the guest, the host, excuse me, would have been at the center. And guests who are closest at the bottom of the U would have been the places of honor. And so he's, he's noting how they are, are living and responding. saying, no, the best way to do this is you would sit first at the lowest place and then later be asked to sit at the, the head of the table uh, near the place of honor. But it's not a lesson in etiquette. Because that's not the aim at all. Jesus is saying, look at you, how you're self-referenced. How do I look? He's not saying, make sure you look good even when you're trying to look honored, honorable. No, he's not saying this at all. You're not even to be concerned about the seat of honor. And that's where the principle comes in at verse 11. Jesus says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The end game is not... Uh, exaltation, it's humility, the fruit of which is to be honored. It's not wrong to be honored, right? It's not wrong to honor other people. But it should be natural and spontaneous. It's not self, self-promoting, Jesus is saying. Then in verse 12, Jesus then he turns to another episode to the host who's given the banquet. And he says, when you, next time you do this, don't invite the rich or your close friends or, you know, your, your, your family, because they're just going to reciprocate. You're going to get repaid. Everybody wants to be uh, repaid or recognized in some way. And then he says this, but instead, verse 13, let's look again. But instead, when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's, it's true. Let's, let's be honest, even as we think about the people that we want to include and associate with, that there's times when we have the hope, if not altogether, right? The intention, 
that what I'm doing will then, and how I'm treating others will come to benefit me. There's one principle that I've, I've learned over time, even as I try to operate towards others and I watch others, you know, the way that they, uh, they practice hospitality, that it takes humility. Humility precedes true hospitality. And as one writer I read this week put it well, Daryl Bach says, the best hospitality is that which is given, not exchanged. Of course, nowadays, you know that inviting certain people or just hanging around people who are like us, who can repay us, is not typically perceived well. So to help that in our modern context, we like the optics of inclusion. Right. So we would like to invite people into our lives and into our circles and especially into our social media pictures. Look at this diverse group of people. Look at this needy person that I'm hanging with. There's a word for this. It's called tokenism. And yes, pride and exclusion is a very ugly form of pride. Prejudice, excuse me. Prejudice and exclusion is an ugly form of pride. But tokenism is giving attention to someone or a group for the gain of your own self-interest. It's helping or including others so that you can be praised and you can be recognized. Well, then Jesus tells this other parable, beginning in verse 15, because there's this ugliness of the attitude of the guests who were invited, but they refused to come. Now, 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 mind you, this is a, a society where it's not quite as, as, as time bound, right? When we send out a, you know, a wedding invitation to it, you know, it's like months ahead, right? And, uh, and people put it on their calendar and prepare. It's not quite as time bound. And as one commentator understood the, the, the cultural context noted, it was common for there to be two invitations. There was the invitation so that the, the host could prepare. No, this is who is coming and this is how we can prepare for the number and the, the, meal that, the meals that we need. But then they would send out a messenger to extend the second invitation. That's exactly what's happening here. You know, those who have committed to come, the host will send out and and has a clear idea. The host sends out the messenger. And that's where we see it in verse 17 of our text. And what happens? Now's the time. It's ready. Everything's been prepared. So now please come. And they say, ah, sorry. And they have all these excuses. Some of them sound somewhat uh, legitimate. They have a variety of excuses, but they have a similarity of intention. The the, the intention is the same, right? They have placed the invitation to the banquet as lower than their own set of selfish priorities and values. Sure, they want to save face so that they they, they put forward these seemingly legitimate uh, excuses, but they're not humbled enough to set aside their own agenda, priorities, and values and come. And the host, it says here, Jesus says, is angry. He's upset. And now he's not going to wait. He's not going to say, well, I guess they're not coming, so we'll just postpone. No, he says, no, we're going forward with it. And I want you, he sends out the messenger again, to invite others. These people, he's angry with the people that 
uh, have more important things and view themselves as more important. And he says, fine, you go, verse 21, and gra- grab all those who are, are blind and lame and crippled and marginalized. And I mean, this is, in some ways, even what we read here, as Jesus describes verse 15 down through verse 23, in some ways, it's kind of a summation of what Jesus has been saying for the last few chapters. He's tried to communicate that you shouldn't despise the small things. You shouldn't despise small people or small beginnings because the kingdom of God is a beautiful thing to those who know that Jesus is the door. He's prepared a great banquet and he's not interested. He's actually warning people. There's an urgency to come to Jesus. There's an urgency to follow him and to heed his call. There's a warning that's here. It's been there in Jesus' teaching. And now it's gotten more pointed and it's, it's sharp. Jesus opposes those who are self-exalted and self-referenced and self-serving because God values those who are humble and needy. For many of the Jews, it, this is something they needed to be reminded of because for many of them, they presumed that they were God's chosen people, that they did deserve a place at Messiah's banquet. And he's saying, no, you need to be reminded that you're not the special guest until you humble yourself. To Messiah. And, and actually, I'm going to be including a lot more people than you would imagine. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's going to be more than we imagine. There's going to be people that are Gentiles that you think are, are undeserving and unworthy and unclean that come into the kingdom of Christ. You'll be surprised. There is something when we... When we smell and we sense and we see pride. People who are self-focused and self-centered. But there's something if we take a few steps back in the lens. And we see something even as Jesus is telling this. That is beautiful. Because Jesus is none of these things. Jesus here is commending, he has not only here, but he has, by his own example in life, commended to us the virtue of humility. And, and the beauty of, of Christians living with humility is that they're hospitable as a people, corporately, individually, but also corporately. Of course, the greatest hurdle to, to exercising hospitality is the greatest hurdle that we have to flying, and that's gravity. The, 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 the physical force of gravity pulls everything down to what? The center of the earth. And that's why it requires thousands and thousands of pounds of pressure and energy to push things like a space shuttle up from the earth. The natural gravity that we have in our own sinful flesh is the gravity of a self-centered life. Our thoughts, our energies, our affections pull inward to our own homes, our own lives. Does that make sense? Why is it? Why is it that we are so, at times, I know I feel it myself, self-referenced. I hear someone else's story, and I don't know how, but creatively I make it about me. It takes a great amount of, of power, and that power is not jet fuel, an engine. It's the grace of God, the love of God working inside of me that re- that is required to push me towards humility and hospitality. Humility, as I've heard it described, is the shy virtue. 
Why? Because <laughs> as soon as you start talking about it, it leaves the room. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> ben Franklin. I remember actually in college in a literature class, I took uh, and and I took up and read Ben Franklin's uh, a biographical work, and he talked about Ben Franklin would talk about at the end of the day how he would take an assessment. Right? He had a list of virtues that he. Uh, you know, esteemed and uh, wanted to, to grow in. And, and one of those was humility. But he began, as he would assess the end of the day, the degree to which he had humility, he found out that he had vanity in his humility. And so he just said, you know what? I'm taking that one off the list. So he didn't try to judge his humility. That was a good exercise. Tim Keller, little booklets, probably like 40 pages I commend it to everyone. It's called the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. The, the, the subtitle is The Pathway of Christian Joy. He writes there and he's kind of channeling C.S. Lewis with this quote. But I'll read it to you. If you were to meet a truly humble person, Lewis says, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not be always telling you Telling us that they were a nobody. Because a person who keeps saying they're a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence, and get this, and this is where he's he's channeling, he's speaking of C.S. Lewis here. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. It's not thinking more. We're not talking about. This is not a problem of, of self-esteem. It's not thinking more of yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Gospel humility. Keller concludes. Is not needing to think about myself. I want that freedom. I want that freedom for me. I want that freedom for you. And you'll need it. We need it. And that only happens when I'm united to Christ. I can't muster it. I can't manufacture it. But being united to Christ, I experience. It's Jesus who is the door who invites me and he invites you to the greatest banquet. Look again. This is what he says in verse 24. I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, I, I can't, I, there's nothing I can do to take the sting out of what Jesus himself just said. Christ has no place for the proud, those who try to save face, those who will make no sacrifice, those who come to the table with, instead it's those who come to the table with expectancy and faith. The banquet he is preparing is, the, is in the new heavens and in the new earth. And Jesus makes, makes clear who are the ones who are blessed to come because of what? His hospitality. His humility. Notice what he says there. He calls it. He didn't even say the fathers. He didn't say the masters. He says my banquet. They're not coming to my banquet. Jesus is the host. And he's the one who gathers the needy and the humble. When, you, when we show up there. And I pray that you all will. And me too. And, and when you do. It's not like you go. Oh well hi. How, how did you get here? How do you how do you know how do you know this person? How did you end up here? That's a really nice pair of shoes you got there. Yeah, look at you. You're you're special. You're important. Tell me about all of you. All of us will be standing there saying, 
I don't know how I got here. Well, you know what? But so and so over there, they sure seem like they got it all together. They're, they're a good person. They definitely deserve it. I don't deserve to be of it. They should deserve to be. No, no, no. All of us to a person will be saying, it's only because of the host. It's not by merit, it's by mercy that I made it here. There's, there's, there's not two groups, there's only that group. It's only the group that says, I don't deserve to be here. It's only because of the mercy of the host. That I'm here. It's only because of his humility, his life. Every table, it seems, every opportunity that we have to, to face the, the celebration, the banquet, the, the recognition, it so hinges on our performance. And this is one of those that doesn't. Grace and the generosity of our host. Remember, it's Philippians 2. Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It's a beautiful thing. Conceited people, and by the way, we we judge others so harshly and we show ourselves so much mercy. And and we know that that it's a beautiful thing. It's It's not savory. It's not sweet. It's not nice to be around people who are conceited. And we imagine that that's somebody else. But sometimes it is us. And if we have any hope of ever experiencing true humility, we need to do this. We need to run to the cross of Christ. We need to come to Jesus and fix our eyes on him and not on us. That's why it goes on to say, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Not in determination, not in education, not in, not in self-will, but in surrender to the Almighty and his son Jesus. It says this, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And he found, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's not our performance that makes us fit to the table. It is mercy. Remember, this is a beautiful picture. There is a beautiful picture of, of humility. It's when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Jesus didn't gather the politicians and the, the wealthy. He, he, you know... He focused on fishermen and tax collectors and the outcasts. And here he is with the disciples washing their feet. Every last one of them. Including Judas. You know, the tragedy of Ben Franklin is um, on different occasions he had opportunities to interact with George Whitfield, the Calvinist preacher who was well-loved, proclaimed the gospel, uh, was part of bringing revival and renewal. They became friends. Franklin admired him greatly. They became friends. There's, there's record of their correspondence between each other, and, and uh, Franklin esteemed him a great deal. But in the end, he, he spoke of Whitfield, he said, as a preacher. He said, you know, Franklin uh, received many invitations to consider and receive Christ as Lord and Savior he said this, Franklin said, he used indeed sometimes, to, used to indeed sometimes pray for my conversion. And Franklin recalled, but never did he have the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. 
Don't you hear? Just there's a tinge of pride about that that Franklin can't see. Well, I guess he never had the joy of seeing that I was converted to follow Jesus. There will be a day of judgment. The master and the host of the banquet has covered our sins and forgiven us through his humility. For those who are united to Christ, who hear the invitation, who come, and that could be you this very day. Not, and maybe you've made excuses. Well, later. Well, once I tend to this, once I clean up that, once I get to experience the fullness of all that I have on my bucket list of life's ambitions, once I perform, you know, and do my religious deeds, this is not interested in any of that. He's saying, come and humble yourselves. Verse 23, the master goes out to the, to the lanes and to the city streets, and he says, what? He doesn't, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say, it doesn't matter. No, he says, it, it does matter. I want the, to the table to be full. I want it to be full. And we can be there. Why? For the glory of God. For the joy of us. That Christ came. And he's the one who makes us worthy for to, to partake. He's, Christ is the one who came and humbled himself. Christ is the one who gave his life and cleanses us. And he invited us. Friends, grace is the hospitality of God. We don't, we don't extend hospitality in the truest sense of Christian hospitality, which isn't just a warm meal. It's, it's opening up our lives to people that don't normally belong there. People that, that need encouragement and, and they, need, they need our love. And they, ha- they haven't any way maybe to repay us. It doesn't matter if they're great or small. It doesn't matter. We show people... Hospitality, because we've been shown hospitality. Grace is the hospitality of God to welcome sinners, not because of our goodness, but because of the cross. To come to what? To a family meal, to a feast that is eternal. That's that's a vision worth setting our, our eyes on. It's a beautiful thought. Pray with me. Father, would you forgive us? We've been very mindful of self. We've served self. We've pitied ourselves. We've boasted in ourselves. We've, we've demonstrated ignorance and pride and, and apathy. Lord, we've, we've, we've demonstrated pride that shows up in our, in our prejudice. And we can't even look up because we're just busy looking down on other people. Please have mercy. Help us to receive the life-giving message of the gospel through the power of your spirit that we might fix our eyes on Jesus every last person here every soul Lord I pray that today you would have mercy on people who struggle that they would sense your grace and presence and peace even your healing touch we we do pray especially for our dear precious sister Emily that as even now she's in the hospital you would grant her peace and rest that you would work through the gift that you've given in modern medicine to Provide relief for her. That you give insight and wisdom and skill, compassion to providers and nurses who tend to her. Lord, she knows it well. She's served so faithfully as a nurse. I pray you meet her family right now with your peace and strength as well. Lord, we pray for people that are struggling right now. The persecuted church. People who live in places where there's great opposition. Lord, we we think of people that face the the terror of war and separation from, from family in Ukraine. 
Have mercy, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be a congregation of people who are characterized by humility and hospitality as we share Christ. And even as we share him, I pray that we would cling to Christ, our King and our Lord. Even now, as we pray in his name and as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father.